0: We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Let us open our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter 13. <clears throat> In Genesis, chapter 13. In this chapter... We're going to see (coughs) the restoration of Abram. You remember last uh, chapter we covered how the Lord made the promise to Abraham that he will bless those who bless him and he will curse him who curses him. And after the beautiful beginning, the first half of the chapter, then the second part, we see an unfortunate story that Abraham, just like any other person, human being, um, made a very bad decision. And he used bad methods to try to get out of a difficult situation which, in which he should not have been in to begin with. But we know with the Lord, the Bible tells us there is plenty of mercy that he may be feared. And so now, in chapter 13, we see the restoration of Abram. We, he, we see, first of all, the return of Abram to God and to the promised land. Remember, he had gone down to Egypt, and it didn't fare too well for him down there. So now he, went, he, came, he comes back to the promised land, to the place where he should have been to begin with. So it says here, the word of God. The first four verses of chapter 13 says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram returns to God and to the promised land. He first enters the Negev. The Negev is this s- desert in the southern part of Israel. So when the uh, text says there, I don't know how it says it in your Bibles, when it says that he went a lot with him, they went to the south. They didn't go to the south. They went north, and they went up. But they went to the south country of Judah. They went to the southern section of Judah to the Negev, which is the desert. All right. Now, he returns with Sarai and all his possessions, all the material wealth he possessed, but he did not stop till he reached Bethel, the last place where he had built an altar to God and had 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 communion with him. He returns to the place where he had lost his blessing and communion with God, and there He goes to confess his sins and seek full restoration to God's favor. When he arrived there, Abram, it says once again, called on the name of the Lord. When a believer strays from God, he must return to the same place from where he went astray to be restored. And that goes for all of us. Because I am sure that many of us, if not all of us, I should say all of us, have strayed many times from the Lord. If not in action, not physically, we have strayed in our hearts. And the only place we can go to to be restored is the very place where we went away from. All right? And so Abram, Abram does that, and he returns to the same place where he had gone astray for the purpose of being restored, of restoring his fellowship, his communion, his worship with God. God promises restoration when we confess our sins. A very ver- a verse that we all know very well, okay, a very well <coughs> known verse is 1 John. One nine, where it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see it in the case of Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah went away from the Lord. He went in the opposite direction. And where did the Lord, oh, where did the fish, even the fish obey the Lord? even when man disobeys, right? So the fish brings him where? He takes him where he wanted to go? No, he brings him back where he left from. And there he comes back, and in the fish's belly, what does he do? He repents and asks for forgiveness. And the Lord commissions him again the second time. He says, now nothing has changed. Go to Nineveh. Same thing with Peter. Peter denied the Lord. Three times after he said he was willing to even die for him. And he denied him three times. He even cursed. He lied, he betrayed, and he cursed. And what does the Lord do after the resurrection? He appears first to whom? To Peter. And how many times does he ask him if he loves him? How many times did he deny him? Three times. So how many times does he ask him if he loves him? Three times. What does that tell you? The Lord restores his children. Okay? Also, in the book of Revelation, when the Lord is speaking to the churches of Asia Minor, the Lord is speaking to the church of Ephesus, which is the first church, and he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. How many of you have left your first love? We got saved one day. We were so happy. We were really gung-ho, going all out for the Lord. And then reality set in. And we began to get a little cooler, a little less enthusiastic, even thinking, oh, man, this Christian life is not really, you know, it's hard. Hmm? We lose our first love. Let me ask you this question, do you love the Lord today as much as you loved him when you got saved? Because if you tell me, yes, you I love him as much as when I first got saved, then you haven't gone anywhere. You need to love him more. Like the little chorus that says, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You got to love them more and more and more. If you don't do that, you're not progressing in your Christian life. So, what does the Lord tell the church of Ephesus? You have left the first love. And then he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. If you don't live right with the Lord and for the Lord, you're not going to have discernment. You're not going to have wisdom. You're not going to have the ability to know His will. It will be very difficult. Because the Lord allows you to grow spiritually according, I mean, he opens your knowledge, I should say, proportionately to your growth. How many of you found out, found out in your lives that you read something from the Bible that years ago, perhaps, or months ago, you tried to read, you didn't understand, and now you understand it a lot better? Why is that? Because has the Bible changed? No, we change. The Lord changes us, allows us to grow spiritually in order to be able to be more mature. And many times, he allows us to go through trials in order to grow spiritually. Because when we are, everything goes smooth sail down the river, we don't grow. We get stuck. It's through adversity that we grow. And so the same with Abram, the same with us. Once restored, Abram reestablishes his communion with God, according to the last part of the uh, fourth verse of our text. okay, In Genesis chapter 13, verse 4, it says, And there Abram... Called on the name of the Lord. Okay? We note his personal need and his worship must have included repentance for going away from the Lord and his will. And also his gratitude for the protection that the Lord gave him in Egypt. Okay? On him and Sarai. We also note his public testimony. Abram proclaims the honor of the Lord, Yahweh, the true and faithful God. Secondly, now we see the separation of Abram. Look what it says in verse 5. Lot also who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram, uh, Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites du- uh, then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. At this point, the Lord allows something that causes Lot to separate from Abram. From the beginning, the Lord had told Abram to separate from his family and from his father's house, but Lot was following him. Now, there arises a problem for lack of space for so much cattle. I mean, you can tell now that they were nomads, right? And they had a lot of cattle. And um, they had flocks. And they had tents. Causing strife between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. The text says that the Canaanite and the Perisite then dwelt in the land. That's an interesting point there, okay. It always it's always a very bad testimony for the world when believers have problems and do not face them properly. The worst thing a believer can do is be a bad testimony to an unsaved person. And Abram acts very wisely, and he gets all the credit for this. Okay? He acts very wisely, and he says, it is not good for us to be striving and having Uh, arguments or differences. We are brethren. What did he mean by that? We are family. We are family. Eh? And so um, we see here that um, Abraham is not willing to put a stumbling block before the unbelievers, causing them to blaspheme God's name. The apostle Paul charges the Jews in Rome when he writes the epistle to the Romans. He says, God's name is blasphemed throughout the nations because of you. Israel was not, most of the time, very faithful. They always had problems. They always turned their back on God. Now again and again and again, even in the diaspora, even... When they were scattered throughout all the earth, there was still being a bad testimony because of their unbelief. And the Apostle Paul says, You are a stumbling block, and the the, the, the pagans, the Gentiles, are blaspheming the name of God because of you. And that happens with Christians too. Christian is a bad testimony. What do the unsaved do? And you're a Christian? What God do you believe in? You're telling me that I you need to be uh, to love. uh, You tell me to love one another, to love your enemies, and you cannot even get get along with your friends, with your brethren, in your family. I have seen many bad testimonies, and it's really very grieving to see people do that. You know what? We need to learn. We need to learn something. We need to detox from this this rights issue. Living in a country, always demand our rights. You know what we need to learn? We need to learn to take the loss. The Apostle Paul says that. Take the loss. Don't take each other to court before the unsaved. Somebody does something to you, take the loss. After all, isn't the Lord Jehovah Jireh? Isn't he the one who supplies everything? Isn't he the one who supports us? And who promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Then why are we claiming our rights as Christians? I want my money. May you perish with your money. And that's not an original statement from me. The apostle Peter told that to Simon the Magus. My money is not my money. My money is the Lord's. And if he wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. And if he doesn't want me to have it, he'll take that and more away from me. Because in the process, he's trying to teach me another lesson, which is much more valuable to money. Abraham had a lot of riches. He was a rich man. But that was not his focus. His focus was God. And that's what we as Christians need to learn. What does Abraham do? Abraham takes the initiative to solve the problem. Who's going to solve the problem when there is a a, a difference between two people? You know who's going to take the initiative to solve the problem? The more spiritual one, the bigger person. Always take the higher road. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't you take vengeance into your own hands. Let God handle it. He knows what to do. You take the high road. You take the high road. You take the initiative to do the right thing. Oh, but that person did this or that to me. Fine. I'm going to do the same to them. Well, if you do the same to them, then you're no, no better than that person. Eh? What does the uh, book of Romans tell us? Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Eh? So here Abram takes the initiative um, to solve the problem. And the way he does it shows his humility. After all, think of this. Abram was a man of peace, first of all. He loved his nephew, Lot. And at the same time, he was aware that the world was watching. And think of this. Though the land was given to him by God, he could have said, I have the right. I'm going to make first choice, take first choice. He doesn't do that. He's gracious enough to tell Lot, okay, choose. If you go this way, I'll go that way. If you choose that way, I'll go this way. You choose. He gave him first option. Humility. Greatness. Big. Okay? Though the land was given to him by God, he does not demand his rights over it. This land is mine. Like some are doing today. I got my rights. May you perish with your rights too. People like that, they don't deserve rights. Because when we have rights, we need to have responsibility. Don't you think so? You lose your responsibility, you become irresponsible, eventually you will lose your rights. Abraham is gracious to Lot and gives him the option to choose first where he wishes to go. Abraham wants a solution to the problem. And this is a great example for every believer to follow. A lot of people don't want a solution to the problem. A lot of people want things to be done their way. Even when you go to court, some of these lawyers, they're not interested in justice. They are interested in winning the case. And they find all kinds of loopholes. And if their client is guilty, they're trying to exonerate him anyway so they can get more money. That's not justice. The other day, I read this woman ran a cop over with with her car, ran over the cop, and the city council wants to punish the cops. You know what they need to do to that woman? They need to put her in jail and throw the key away. Police are out there every day risking their lives to protect us. Do they make mistakes? Sure they do. But so do you. So don't act so holier than thou. We need to pray for the police. And they don't get paid much, let me tell you. There's no more justice. What does the prophet, the Lord say, through, say say through the prophet Isaiah? Woe unto them who call good evil, and evil good. Today the victims are punished, and the perpetrators are defended. Case in point, Israel and Hamas. Well, but you know what Hamas means in Spanish, right? It means never. And you know what, how you say violence in Hebrew? Hamas. Now we see uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, things happen so that everybody will manifest what he or she is. Do you ever have people disappoint you, let you down? Yeah? Have you? Do you know why that happens? So that you may find out what they are and learn what not to do. Because not every lesson we learn is positive. Some lessons are negative. That's part of training. Now look at verse 10 of chapter 13. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. Now was Lot gracious to say, no, Uncle Abram, you're the elder. You choose first. After all, the land was given to you. He doesn't do that. The carnal, backslidden perverted Lot. And yet the Bible calls him righteous. Which tells us that he was a child of God, but he was very backslidden, very carnal. But look what it says here. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And then in parenthesis it says, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, Like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar, then Lot chose for himself, selfish that he was, all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom, were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. The first step in Lot's backsliding, we see that in verses 10 and 11. Lot sees the opportunity to his own advantage, or so he thought. He lifted up his eyes and saw. He made his decision based on what he saw and chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan River. He was interested in his own convenience and tra- traveled east, and they separated from each other. And this is complete separation. And that's what the Lord tells his children to do. He tells us that even today, that we to, to, to come out from among them and be separate. The Lord does not bless a believer who is mingled in the world and lives according to the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. And we should not do the practices and things of the world. We Christians must be different. In the book of Isaiah, the Lord says to the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, he says, look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. In other words, says to to them, what does he say to them? He says, look at Abraham. That's your example. Abraham separated eventually from Lot. Okay, And uh, Lot chose to go his way to the five cities on the plain of the Jordan River, which were cities that were prosperous. He now was interested in material wealth and decided that's where he wanted to be. This was the first step of his backsliding, a bad choice. He went towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities of the plain. Today, that region is hot and arid. Remember that? We were in Israel in Ein Bokek by the Dead Sea. That's beautiful in in its own right, but you know what? It's arid. Nothing grows there. And nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That's why it's dead. Nothing grows. And if you get, get into the Dead Sea, you float. But be careful not to splash the water into your eyes. And be careful not to drink that water because it's poisonous. But it wasn't like that back then. Before the, that's why it says in parentheses in our text, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Obviously, something happened there when the Lord rained fire from heaven to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to see that in chapter 19, okay, that changed the whole topography of the area. So now we see that today the region is hot and arid, completely desolate. But in those days, there was abundant rainfall, and the living conditions must have been uh, very pleasant to live in. It was, it says, as the garden of the Lord, meaning the garden of Eden. Must have been beautiful, lush, green. Hmm? And this is what Lot desired, Christ, creature comforts. Now, I know that we Christians never want those things. We, we don't look for creature comforts. You know, We're content with living in the Bronx. I don't care where you live. You can live in the Bronx, in Westchester, in New Jersey, in Long Island, anywhere you want to. You can live in uh, some palace or big uh, penthouse downtown in Manhattan. But you know what? That, that's not the problem. The problem is, what are your priorities? What are the desires of your heart? What is the reason why you make choices in life? And this is what Lord did. He desired creature comforts. You know, a lot of Christians unfortunately live that way. Their goal is to buy a big house in some wonderful warm place and one day retire. And become a vegetable and do nothing. That really glorifies God, doesn't it? We have not had few problems of people who did that in they enjoyed it for a couple of years and they died. All their lives they worked for that and then they died. You know what? Enjoy your life day by day. Paul said, In whatsoever state I find myself, I have learned to be content. And where was he when he said that? In jail. And here we see that Lot made a wrong choice. He wanted creature comforts like most people today. Now, many go out of the will of God to acquire the comforts this world offers. Now, if you're walking with God and God blesses you, that's one thing. But if you go out of his will to get things in spite of the will of God, then those things are going to be a snare to you. It was for Lot. And we see here that though he must have known how wicked these cities were, he nevertheless decided that this is what he wanted. Listen, you must never say never in life, but I'll tell you this. I'll, 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 I'll risk it. I would never live in the village. You know where the village is, right? Why do you think I would never live in the village? Because that's the capital of perversion. Every pervert that you can think of lives down there. I don't want to live in an environment like that. As a matter of fact, you know, ever since I came to the United States 57 years ago, I never wanted to live in Manhattan. Never. And I never did. I lived in the Bronx. I lived in Queens. I lived in Riverdale, in New Jersey, now I'm not And I'm a city kid, but I would never live there. Why? What goes on down there is disgusting. And nowadays, it's even worse. I don't want to be where the world is and they do the things of the world. I want to be where God's people are. I want to be in a place that I'm quiet. I want to live for the the glory of God. Now, if it was God's will for me to live there because he wanted me to do something for him, that's a different story. But for my pleasure, I would not live down there. And besides, it's stupid. Live in a place like that. Pay what? $4,000 for a little cubicle? That's real smart. Huh? Lot knew <coughs> that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked. Nevertheless, it didn't bother him. That's where he wanted to go. And that is what Lot's, Lot saw as he lifted up his eyes, the worldly goods. Abram, on the other hand, dwelt in tents for, he, wanted for the cit- he waited rather for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11, 9, and 10. Lot journeyed east towards the world, and Abraham went west, back to the hill country of Canaan, and stayed in the center of the will of God. Now we see the second step in Lot's backsliding. Verses 12 and 13, Lot turns his eyes towards the plain of Jordan, taking the second step in his backsliding and travels in that direction. First, he lifted up his eyes and saw and started moving that way. Now he goes in that direction. He didn't move into the city immediately. He first Pitched his tent towards Sodom. In other words, he was getting every every day. He was getting closer and closer and closer to Sodom. And that's how we, many times, act in our lives. We know that something is wrong, and we don't plunge into it, but we start going. And before we know it, we are caught in the whirlpool and we can't get out. Do you know when a ship sinks in the high seas and the boats, this, you know, the uh, lifesavers, you know, the people get into the boats and they move, they, they tell them to move as far away from the ship as possible because when the ship finally goes down, there is a huge whirlpool that, that causes in the water and sucks in everything. And that's how sin is, okay? So get away from the whirlpool. He only pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then finally, he dwells in the cities of the plain, we're told. And then he backslid little by little, sliding more and more closer to the the sinful city of Sodom. And the next verse describes the inhabitants of that city, that they were wicked extremely okay, before the Lord. And we see how a believer who makes wrong decisions backslides little by little, closer each time to sin. Six chapters later, we're going to see how the backsliding of this disobedient child of God will end in tragedy. Believers today often follow the same path, hoping to have both spiritual and worldly blessings at the same time. But this condition doesn't last. Sooner or later, one must decide for one or the other. What did the Lord say in Matthew six twenty four? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You will love the one and hate the other, or you will love the other and hate the one. You can't have both. Okay? The Lord does not allow it, but neither does the world. When a Christian backslides, the world sneers at him or her. They mock him. You're a Christian and you do that? Sometimes the world has higher standards for us than we do, they expect us to be better. Notice Lot's sad choices. First, he lifted his eyes and saw all the plains of Jordan. Secondly, then he chose for himself all the plain. Thirdly, he journeyed east in that direction. Fourthly, he separated from a godly influence, the influence of Abraham. Fifthly, he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Sixthly, Soon he dwelt in Sodom, chapter 14, verse 12. And finally, he sat in the gate of Sodom, in chapter 19, verse 1, meaning that he was one of the leaders in Sodom. Because when somebody sat at the gate of a city, that's where the, uh, the, uh, all the issues, the matters of city government, Trade and everything else took place at, right? That was the city hall. Okay? And this is how the tragedy began that would destroy him and his family. Now, we see now after he leaves, Lot leaves, and sometimes some people need to leave. Who needs to leave? A church. I'll tell you, I'll give you a secret. It's a theological secret. You know who needs to leave the church? The undesirables. The ones that disturb the work of God. The ones who are stumbling blocks. Who are in the church to fulfill their own agenda, not the Lord's. My sister one time told me some people left the church just to me. Don't worry about it. She says, that's not a loss, that's a gain. And it is. And you know what? I've talked to other pastors. They have the same issues. One of them told me one day, oh, yeah, so-and-so left. And I rested. So now after Lot leaves, look what the word of God says in verse 14. We see the covenant reiterated. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if any man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Again, hmm? once again, God speaks to Abram, but only when he is in the center of his will. God looks for obedience and speaks only when we walk separated from idle and disobedient people. God reveals his will to the spiritual believer as he promises blessing. And he promises blessing. There is a big contrast between Abram and Lot. Look at uh, the text there in chapter uh, 13 of of Genesis. Go to verse uh, verse 10 and look what it says there. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. That's Lot. Now look at Abraham in verse 14. And the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. They both lifted up their eyes. One was to see the things of this world, and the other one was to see, was to see the will of God. The blessing. Okay? Lot's sad mistake. Was Abraham's blessing. The Lord instructs him to lift up his eyes and look. He does this, demonstrating his faith in the Lord. Remember, he still has no descendants at this point. And the Lord says, "I'm going to give all this to to, and to your descendants." And where are his descendants? They doesn't even have one son yet, and he's getting up in years. He believes what the Lord tells him when he promises to give him innumerable descendants. Arise and walk through the land because I will give it to you. And this is the the land covenant. Whose is the land? People say, oh, the land belongs to the Arabs. It does not belong to the Arabs. It doesn't even belong to the Jews. It belongs to God. And God gave it to Abraham and his descendants through Isaac, not through Ishmael. Sorry. Isn't God doesn't God have the right to do whatever He wants with the land? Then what are all these idiots protesting out there? Arise and walk through the land because I will give it to you. This is the land covenant, and Abraham proves his faith by obeying. You know how you prove your faith, your faith? By obeying. Some people say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, so does the devil. As a matter of fact, the devil sees him, and he trembles, and so do the demons. Believing God doesn't mean you acknowledge that he exists. Well, thank you. Everybody does that. Unless you're a fool, you're an atheist. Believing in God, I would be better to say, I trust God. That's a stronger word. In the Greek, belief is not just, well, I believe, I I mentally, uh, you know, agree, assent that he exists. No, 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 that's not believing in God. I believe in George Washington, but I don't believe George Washington can save me. I trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust God. I don't just say that I do. I do. Just like you trusted that chair you're sitting on. You say you believe that chair could hold you? Yeah. Well, you sat on it and proved it. And that's the kind of belief God wants. Trust. Okay? And so Abraham proves his faith by obeying. He rises up and moves through the land as if inspecting and taking possession of it by faith. Now in reality, Abram never owned the land in his lifetime and neither did his seed. And for most of human history, Israel has been out of the land more than he has been in the land. The fulfillment of this promise will be in the Lord's millennial kingdom, is still future. God also ans- a- assured him once more that he would make him a great nation, in verse 16. His seed would be as the dust of the earth. Now, today, Abram's descendants are both the Jews and the Arabs. And the number is great indeed. Can you number their descendants, his descendants? He fulfilled his word, didn't he? Hmm? But this promise has a future fulfillment as well. Dust of the earth is a figure of speech for a number too great to enumerate. This as well as all the other promises of God will all have a literal fulfillment one day. We don't doubt his promises. God never changes his mind or break his word, never. Besides, this promise was given to Abraham unconditionally. This is a promise that God is going to fulfill regardless of what Abraham did. Abraham would surely have taken this promise literally. He had no reason to take it otherwise. He was promised a nation that would be a blessing to other nations. And indeed, this has been the case as we can see from history. The Jewish people have been a blessing to all the other nations. You don't have to go too far to see that. A lot of the uh, places in New York City It's thanks to the Jewish people that, 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 that they're there. Did you ever hear of Mount Sinai Hospital? Who do you think founded it? And What about Montefiore Hospital? What about Albert Einstein? What was Albert Einstein? Irish? Hmm? Who are the uh, winners of most of the Nobel Prizes Throughout history, the Jewish people out of proportion according to their number. But the greatest blessing of all is that through the seed of Abraham came the seed, the promised seed, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many countless millions? have not trusted in him as Lord and Savior. And either they are in heaven now or they're still here on earth and they're, they're saved. Hmm? You see how God's word gets fulfilled? Eh? At the same time, the New Testament makes it clear <clears throat> that Abram's seed was Christ himself, according to Galatians 3.16. And that Abraham is the father of all them. That belief, Romans 4.11. So Abraham not only has a physical descendancy with a, he, the Jewish people and the Arabs, but also a spiritual inheritance. All of us who have believed in the Lord. We are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. He has both a physical and a spiritual seed, and thus, Abram was to be the father of many nations. Later on, he tells that in chapter 17. Finally, Abram establishes himself in his most permanent place in Hebron and builds an altar to God. He had built similar altars at Shechem and at Bethel. We see his complete separation from the rest of men. He does not identify with the Canaanites and their idolatrous practices. And the first thing Abram does Wherever he settles, uh, wherever he settles down, is to have a place where he and his family could meet to worship the only true God. He was a man of right priorities, wasn't he? Now, from this chapter, we learn three, at least three practical lessons. Number one, when a believer backslides, he must always return to the place he fell from. That's where the solution begins. Secondly, the spiritual believer and the carnal believer cannot walk together. In the book of Amos, we're told, chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. There must be a separation. And thirdly, God blesses and has communion with a believer who obeys his word, not with the one who does not. I hope you are a believer like Abraham, not like Lot. And in the subsequent chapters, we're going to see how Lot ends, ends up and how Abraham, Abraham ends up. All the things that we find in Scripture, the Apostle Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians, were written for our own instruction and admonition. So that we learn from those what to do and what not to do. In the case of Abraham, mostly what to do. In the case of Lot, definitely what not to do. Amen? Amen. Our Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your precious word that is so relevant even today and will continue to be relevant in the days to come. We're grateful this morning for the privilege of having you. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.